Good evening, church. My name is Wee Dumela, and I'm from the student ministries. I'll be doing tonight's Bible reading. The Bible reading is from Ruth, chapter 3, from 1 to 18. Ruth, chapter 3, from verse 1 to 18. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, our relative with whose young woman you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash therefore and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put on her. When she went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Thank you. That's the word of the Lord. Good evening, everyone. How's the day? How's the week been? I'm going to do what I usually do with my teens. I'm going to do it again because it's always fun. Rate your week from naught to five. Lift up your hand and you can say two or three or five if it was really good or naught if it was that bad. So raise your, raise your hands. Tell me how your week's been. Uh, I can see Matrix is studying exams. So there's a one there. Yeah, yeah, it's been a fair, okay, it's been fairly good overall. I can see a good average of about three. So the Man United supporters should all be holding up naught. <laughs> all right. Uh, we're in, we're in uh, Ruth chapter 3, and uh, 
So here's what I want to ask you is put your hands up if you need a break from work this week. <laughs> yeah, pretty much everybody. Okay. Put up your hand if you just want a break from people this week. Yeah, okay, okay. Put up your hands if you just need a break from the evils in this world this week. Yeah, there's a few people. Okay. Just as I thought, majority of us retired, right? And it's understandable. And I'm going to make some guesses as to why some of you are tired. Now, you know this. Every single time I've been preaching, I've been giving out chocolates. Well, except for the first time, so last week. But this time around, you're going to give me chocolates, okay? All right? I'll explain how you're going to give me chocolates, but you're going to give me chocolates, okay? If I get it right, okay? I'm guessing that some of you are tired because there's certain employees that are just incompetent. Am I right? Sweet. A chalky's coming my way. It's always great when your boss says that. All right. Okay, so double or nothing. Okay, double or nothing. I can get a second chocolate, right? Some of you, (laughs) this is written down in my notes. Some of you have frustrating bosses. (laughs) You need a break from them. I'm one of those. Okay, I'm pretty sure I'm, I've got I've got two, right? I'm pretty sure I've got two. Can I get a nod? Like, yes, have I got two? Yeah, yeah, okay, I've got two. Right. Let me try focus on the students this time and, and go for triple. Some of you are wondering how you're going to get through so many assignments in such little time. Am I getting hit and hit nod? Okay, there we go. There we go. I've got some, some nods. Again, to the students, you're wondering how... One of your lecturers expects you to do to do such an impossible task. I mean, you you haven't even covered the material, and and they want you to do an essay on it, right? Yes. Okay. I've got four chalkies. I think. I think I've got four chalkies. Right. Now, I'm going to try go for five. Okay. I'm going to try go for five. I bet that there's not one person in this room who is constantly fighting with a family member. Darn it, I lost it. Actually, I knew I was going to, I mean, of course I knew I was going to lose that one, right? Because I didn't want to have to figure out how you guys are going to give me chocolates. I thought that was a bit unusual. And then I also thought some of you are looking at me and you're saying, you that dad bod is a little bit too much. So you need to lay off the chalkies, Gareth. So, so it's okay. I know you're thinking. And, and also I know that most of you, for some reason, there's, we all, almost all of us have at least some, some family member that we have an issue with. So, so we're not alone in that, right? Don't you just wish that you could just have a rest? <laughs> I don't know about you, but maybe take a holiday, not just any, any, any holiday, but one where you don't have to worry as well. Cause you know, sometimes you can go on holiday, but you can still be worrying about the stuff. But this time you're going on a holiday and somehow you don't have to worry. For whatever reason it is, you don't have to worry about that stuff. You don't have to worry about the family, work, evil in the world, etc. It would be amazing, right? So today we're looking at rest. And you know how I know we're looking at rest? Can anybody, this is, now I'm giving you chocolates, right? Now we're going back to you getting chocolates. So who can remember from last week how we can tell what the main point of one of the passages in Ruth is? Can anybody remember? Great, I'm a terrible preacher. Just realized it. Anybody? 
There's chocolates as well. I can show you. It's a bar one. Sorry. Yeah. By looking at the speeches. That is right. Thank you, Melina. Someone listen. If there's one person who listens in the congregation, I'm happy. Okay. So, yes, that's right. And it's in the first three chapters. So I'll remind you again. In the first three chapters, when you look at Naomi's speeches, she often alludes to or actually shows you what the main point of the passage is. And in tonight, we're going to see it in verse 1. It says this. Now, this is Naomi speaking. Then Naomi, uh, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? So Naomi is looking for rest. But the rest spoken about here in the Hebrew implies emotional, mental, physical, and spiritual rest. All right, let me pray for us, and then we'll continue. Lord, there's a lot of people here who are struggling with rest. They are empty, Lord, and they need your help. So I pray today that they may find that rest in you. I pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so why? So Naomi's speaking to Ruth there, and she's wanting to give Ruth this rest. Why does Ruth need emotional, spiritual mental, physical rest. Well, let's remember the context. Let's remember why we've the journey that we've been through so far. So if you've just joined us tonight, this is your first time. We've been going through the series, a series on the book of Ruth, and this is our third talk in it. Next week will be our last one. So you can always go find those online if you want. I will try to do a little bit of a summary here. So here's what we've seen so far. We started the story with Naomi and her husband living in Moab with their two sons, Mahalan and Kilian, and their life is good. Then tragedy strikes, and Naomi's husband dies, and then life seems to kind of pick up a bit. The, the boys get married to two wonderful Moabite women. Their names are Ruth and Orpah, but then... Those boys die as well. And we, we kind of looked at in the first talk how just that struggle would have been for losing pretty much your whole family. But there were two other struggles that Naomi also faces because of the loss of her sons and her, and her husband. The first one is she's on the brink of poverty. So in that society, men own all the possessions. So as long as there was a male heir, one could keep all their possessions. But there was no male heir anymore. As all the boys were passed on, leaving Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah owning nothing. On top of that, Naomi was too old to work, so she could not provide for the family. The second struggle is that Jewish women felt the responsibility of providing a male heir for their husband. Now in those days, if your husband passed on, and you did not have sons, you would find a relative of your husband to marry you so that your husband's family lineage could continue and you'd be able to keep all the possessions. So you can imagine, and and this culture is probably more similar to an honor culture, how important it would be to have a male heir. How much of a failure that Naomi or Ruth or Orpah might feel not being able to have an heir for the family of their husbands. So now the relative that you would marry if you could find a relative was called a kinsman redeemer. And that's going to be helpful for our passage tonight. 
Naomi, however, was too old to marry. So it seemed like a kinsman redeemer was unlikely. And remember, Ruth and Orpah are Moabites. And one of the things that we said in our first talk was that there was a lot of racism between Jewish men and Moabite women. Well, between Jews and Moabites. And in this situation, it plays out that these women would also struggle to find a husband or to marry. So they've lost their husbands. They're on the brink of poverty. They cannot continue the family lineage. So what they do is they, they've been living in Moab, and so they travel back to the Jewish town of Judah, where they hear that there's been, the Lord has been blessing the land. And so Naomi thinks maybe there's hope back there. Maybe her life can turn around. And while she's heading back to Judah, Naomi encourages her daughters to head back to Moab. And it's pretty obvious because of the fact that they will face quite a lot of racism if they head to Judah. So she's saying, listen, and and like we said earlier, it's a male-dominated society. So she says to them, listen, go back to Moab because there you're not going to have all these struggles. You can find a husband. You can marry. You can live your lives again. But we see... Orpah goes back, but Ruth clings to her. And we have that wonderful, that wonderful passage which we looked at where Ruth commits and dedicates and literally gives an oath to never leaving Naomi and commits her life to serving Naomi. And it was an incredible picture of love. And so chapter 1 ends, and it, it, it kind of ends on a sour note because although Ruth enters into Judah with Naomi... Naomi confesses right at the end there that she feels bitter, that she feels empty. In fact, she says that the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. The Lord has testified against me, which shows how she's feeling. So even though she's got Ruth and even though Ruth is committed to love her and to look after her, all of that, she still feels, as you and I would, right, the emptiness of the loss and the the trials that she's gone through. And then we saw chapter 2 begins to... To, to bring a little bit of light into the dark situation, Ruth decides to go find a, a farm that she can go pick up any grain that's been dropped on the ground. So she's literally basically begging and just picking up scraps so that she can at least get a little bit of food for her and Naomi. And by fluke, although we know, we know it's not by fluke, uh, she happens to land on Boaz's farm, and Boaz is a close relative of Naomi's deceased husband. And instead of being racist to to the Moabite, he makes her part of his community. He feeds her with abundance, blesses her. And in the end, when Ruth heads home, she heads home with more food than she could possibly even carry. And she provides that for Naomi so that Ruth and Naomi have food to eat. Naomi tells us that, that God has been the one who has been kind. For she says that God has not left them without a kinsman. So, so... We saw last week that although Naomi felt forsaken by God, God has actually not left her, but provided her with Ruth. And also, he's wielded things in such a way that Ruth could meet a kinsman redeemer. However, Boaz has not done the redemption thing just yet. And so today we're going to see a clever plan that is hatched by Naomi to try and get Boaz to marry Ruth. So let's look at verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, 
Should I not seek rest for you that it may go well with you? So in this verse, we, we kind of saw earlier that this is where we got the main point from, right? Um, but this verse also has a common phrase often given to a bride as a wish of goodwill on a wedding day. So often someone would come up to the bride and say, may it go well with you. In other words, may you have a happy, prosperous future with a wonderful family. So if Ruth is reading between the lines, she should be able to see that her mother, what her mother-in-law is really saying. What she's saying is, my daughter, I'm going to seek rest for you by getting you married. Okay? This is, this is quite sweet of Naomi because this was actually the role of a parent. But since Ruth's parents aren't around and since Naomi and Ruth have kind of become very close, she takes on this role. So she's trying to convince Ruth to get married. But it's not just anyone who she wants Ruth to marry, it's Boaz. And so Naomi comes up with this threefold plan to get her daughter to marry Boaz. Okay? So mothers in the room, I don't know if there are any, but if there are, if you know of a good man for your daughter who he should, she should marry, here's a good plan, right? I'm calling it Naomi's Guide to Getting a Ring on It. All right? So plan number, part number one of the plan is convince the bride that marriage is best for her. So we saw this in verse one. This is the result of the marriage for Ruth. She can find rest. Okay, that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good incentive. Number two, convince the bride that he's good marriage material. Okay, look at verse two. Is not Boaz our relative with who, with whose young woman you were? In other words, again, read between the lines, Ruth. Boaz can redeem us. We can get all our possessions back and continue Elimelech's family line. Oh, and by the way, he also protected you. Do you remember that? And we saw that a lot more in, in chapter 2. Remember how he kept you safe by allowing you to glean amidst the woman in chapter 2? Come on, Ruth. What are you waiting for? He's a relative and he cares about you. Come on. And point number three. Here's the longest one. Come up with an awesome marriage proposal. Okay, so 3B. This is the start of this marriage proposal. See he, which is Boaz, is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. So the proposal starts off with a great location. All right? So men, for the first time in our lives, we're actually seeing how a woman would like to propose to a man. So again, take some notes. It starts off with a good location, the threshing floor. Now, at the end of the harvest, they would uh, winnow the barley and have this huge celebration that would take place at the threshing floor, which was either this huge flat rock outcrop or a big patch of flat land. Okay, so it's out under the stars. It's a party under the stars. There would be a lot of food and drink, and then everyone would, would fall asleep on the rock. This was a perfect location because the party, good food, and good drink would, would kind of put Boaz in a good mood. And if Ruth decided to talk to Boaz, she could do it in private because everybody else was asleep, right? Now, there's been a, you know, a lot of commentators have said a lot about what happens at the threshing floor. Some say Boaz was drunk. It's kind of looks in our text like he's merry, but 
I'm not convinced. I think he was just, you know, if you have a little bit of alcohol and food in you, it makes you, puts you in a good mood, right? Um, so there's other things about that. I'm not going to go into it, but for, for our purposes here, it's, it's wonderful to see that this is a, Naomi has kind of put together this plan and it starts off with a good location and it happens to be at the threshing floor. Second part of the proposal, look in verse 3. Wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. So we had a good location, now we've got to dress well, okay? Now this is where the plan gets strange. But when you see the end of it, it really is an awesome plan. So anointing and washing yourself, apart from making you look good, is also what a woman would do before getting married. And the cloak is kind of like a veil which would cover her face. So what what's happening here is she's dressing up as a bride to head down to the threshing floor. So it's a bit strange, right? This plan is a little bit weird now. Like she's going to like dress. Now I I don't think she fully dressed up like in the full full wedding outfit. Otherwise, like Boaz is going to just be standing there going, "Oh, who's dressed up as a bride? That's weird." <laughs> so she probably just did it to a small degree. Um, and you can see now in the next part of the text it says, "But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking." So she didn't want to be too obvious. So she's kind of just dressed up a little bit, but just enough to kind of have a little bit of a bride vibe. Okay. She's covered her face so that he can't see her. And she's to wait until he's finished eating and drinking. Because that's when he'll be in a good spirit. He'll be in a good mood and he's more likely to say yes. Okay, now some commentators have suggested that she was trying to seduce Boaz in a sexual manner. But I disagree with that. Because I think what's happening is that Naomi is trying to give Ruth the best chance of Boaz saying yes. Because we, we, we still got to remember the facts, right? Keep in your mind Ruth is a Moabite, considered an outcast in society. And Boaz is an upstanding Jewish citizen. So not only is he out of her league, but his race is racist to her, hers. So Naomi really wants to pull out all the stops and make this proposal magical. If Ruth had just walked up to Boaz and said, marry me, things may have fallen flat. Now, we know from Boaz's character, probably wouldn't, but Naomi doesn't know that, and so she's really putting everything she can into making sure this proposal goes well. Ruth needs to wait for the best time to pop the question, and it would be best when he's had a little bit of wine to drink and food so he's in a good mood, all right? So verse 4, but when he lies down, Observe the place where he lies. Then go, and now this just sounds even more strange. Uncover his feet and lie down, and he'll tell you what to do. This sounds a bit strange. So point number three. So we've said location, we've said dress well, good proposal plan. Now, point three is you've got to execute the good plan. Now, this plan looks weird to us now, doesn't it? She was to remember where he lay. And it's understandable, it's dark, and there's going to be a lot of people sleeping on this rock, so she doesn't want to just propose to the wrong guy. I mean, that would be awkward. So she's got to remember where he is. I mean, imagine, that would be really weird, just the random woman just like lying by your feet and uncovering your feet. 
So we get this part of the plan, but, but the thing that is weird is why uncover the feet? I mean, ladies, let me tell you something, okay? Unless you are Shaquille O'Neal and you're used to your feet sticking under the blanket, I can tell you now that most guys are not going to say yes to a proposal if you uncover their feet when they're sleeping, okay? If you're like me, your feet have to be warm in order for the whole body to be warm. So if you uncover my feet when I'm sleeping, I'm probably just going to be really rude, okay? I might kick you, okay? Because that's really hectic. So why, why go to this, why uncover the feet? Well, let's see. Verse five. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. So remember, Ruth is saying yes now to Naomi. She's, she's heard Naomi's whole plan and now she's gonna go ahead and do it. So verse six. So she, Ruth, went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. And at midnight, the man was startled. Do you see? Even 2,000 years ago, people were, more than that, more than 2,000 years ago, people were startled if you lifted up their feet. The law is you never uncover somebody's feet. It's biblical. So at midnight, the man was startled and turned over. And behold... A woman lay at his feet, and he said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. So the lion from Ruth there makes the entire proposal make sense. Because the word for wing in Hebrew is actually the same word for garment. In other words, Ruth, by lifting up Boaz's robe and lying at his feet, she was enacting the words she was about to say. She's enacting Boaz spreading his wings over her. Now, for another chocolate, and I really hope I can give this one away. Why is the picture of a wing over Ruth significant? And the hint is we spoke about it last week. Any people remember? Sorry? So the question is, why is the picture of a wing over Ruth significant? Any? Sorry? No, so we talked about it from chapter 2, but that is, that is a great answer, but that's not what I'm looking for. Yes, yes. And why, why did we speak about that last week? Because whose wing is, is Ruth under? Yes, thank you. I helped you to that one, so I should have half. No, you can have, oh my goodness, that's real friendship. When your friend steals it from you. This whole series I've been talking about serving others and loving others, and you just go ahead and steal your friend's talk. That is just real love. So in chapter two, we saw that Ruth had taken refuge under the wings of the Lord. And last week we looked at what that meant and we we kind of pictured, as we just said here, that we pictured a baby bird under the going under a mother bird's wing and when they do that they feel safe, they feel looked after because they're under mommy bird's wing. And Ruth felt safe and looked after under God's wing. 
But here in this passage, she's asked Boaz to protect her in the same way that she would be protected under God's wing. Now, she's not replacing God with Boaz, but rather asking Boaz to be the wing of the Lord. What a creative proposal plan from Naomi. I mean, Ruth actually barely has to say anything because her actions speak louder than the words. She's literally enacting. In fact, more than that, she's embodying what she wants to say. Because by pulling his cloak over her, he would have kept her warm, safe, and looked after for the few seconds before he woke up. What a genius plan. And it's quite sweet if you think about it. So now Ruth has said in an, inter- in an interesting way, she said, will you marry me? And what is Boaz's reply? And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after younger men, whether poor or rich. So why Boaz is saying this is because Ruth would have, would have, could have gone for the younger men. But Ruth is so other person-centered that she won't just find the perfect man for herself. Instead, she looks for a man that can also redeem Naomi and, and the family. In this sense, only Boaz can do this. Verse 11, And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. Now that response is not what we were expecting, right? We were expecting, I will marry you and I will redeem you and we can march forth and have an heir and everything will be right. Instead, we get this bittersweet answer. It's bitter because Boaz has added a provisor. I will only marry you if there is no one closer. And it's sweet because he does vow that whatever happens, she will be redeemed in the morning. So why does Boaz do this? Why find a closer redeemer? It's not because Boaz doesn't want to marry Ruth. It's because he wants to do the right thing first. See, he knows that in Jewish law, the closer redeemer must be asked to marry Ruth. And if they say no, only then can Boaz marry marry her. See, if Boaz had not done this, then Ruth would have looked like a Moabite that just ignored Jewish custom to get what she wants. And this would have taken a seemingly good reputation that Ruth seems to have now earned in society, according to verse 11, and tarnished it. So we need, to, we need to stop here for a bit of application because what Ruth experiences is not the Boaz she wants, she gets the Boaz she needs. Now, if you look at this passage, we've seen a lot of imagery of getting married. And throughout the Bible, this marriage picture is painted between us and God. In fact, in Ezekiel 16... It, shows, it actually shows God's people dressed up like Ruth, ready for marriage, and God is the groom. And it actually speaks about him laying his cloak over his people. 
Now, Jesus is our Boaz. He's our Redeemer. And he rescues us at the cross. He, that's where he consummates our marriage for, by dying for us. And all we need to do is ask him to spread his wing over us. But you re- need to realize something. He's not the Redeemer you want. He's the Redeemer you need. Or to put it another way, he's not the husband you want. He's the husband you need. And I say this because the world wants a certain version of Jesus. They want a version of of Jesus that accepts all religions get to God, that accepts all sexual preferences, and is for, they want a God that accepts any ethical movement. But just like Ruth, we meet a redeemer that doesn't always act like we want him to. He does say things we don't agree with. He doesn't accept all forms of behavior. Believe it or not, this is actually for our good. Now, there's a really interesting interview that I saw, and you can go YouTube, but it's between Sean McDowell and a woman called Rachel Gilson on YouTube. Now, Rachel Gilson is a woman who is a Christian that has given up on her life of lesbianism. And in her interview, she gives her testimony, and she said that she she read the Bible and saw God's care and love for humanity. And based on that evidence, she realized that when God said lesbianism is wrong, she knew it actually came from a place of love. Now, I'm paraphrasing this a bit. It would be really good for you to go see the interview yourself. So the, though she, she says this, she couldn't see why lesbianism was wrong, but she chose to trust in Jesus. Like Boaz tells Ruth something she doesn't want to hear, so Jesus often tells us things we don't want to hear, but he is always for our good. Secondly, not only does the world want a certain version of Jesus, but we do. We, we often have the slot machine God. You know, many of us believe that if we just go to church enough times, then God should bless us with the life that we want. We have career objectives, relationship objectives, material objectives, and we feel that if we just live a fairly decent life, if we perhaps even give money to the church, or we just go to church, then we can treat God like a slot machine. We can put in, I've gone to church this week, and then we What pops out is the good life, right? Now, if you live like this, you're quickly going to give up on God. Because God will not give you the life that you want, but the life that you need. You'll find, you'll, you'll pray to God, and some of your prayers will be answered, but others will seem like they are not. Why is this? Because God does answer all prayers, but he doesn't always answer them with yes. God knows everything. He knows the past. He knows the present. And he knows the future. He knows every action and every thought of every person, which means that when you pray to him, he knows how what you are asking for will affect everything. And so, therefore, he might say no. In light of that, he hears your prayers, but he will do what is best for you and for his world. And that may or may not be granting your wish. Also, the Lord may want you to go through some struggles, as 1 Peter suggests. 
in order to grow your faith, which means that the Lord may go in the opposite direction of your prayers, i.e. you may pray that the Lord takes you out of this miserable job you're in, but the Lord may keep you there for a little bit longer in order to grow you in your trust of him. So how do you rest in the Lord then when he's not what you expect? Well, the goal of this passage is rest, right? We saw that in verse 1. So how, how can we rest in a redeemer who's not what we expect? How can we trust him? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 14. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize, before, uh, sorry, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let's not be known, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Suppose it's just being wise here. If someone sees Ruth getting up from next to Boaz in the morning, they're going to think that, Ro- that Ruth slept with him, which in that society where sex was only to happen in marriage, you can imagine what would happen to both their reputations. And so verse, verse 15, and he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then Ruth told her all about the man, sorry, all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, You must not go back empty handed to your mother in law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. So the barley is quite interesting. Boaz gives it to Ruth. And it almost feels like a consolation prize. Here Ruth had just asked him to marry her. And he said no and sent her home with some food to make her feel better. It's like a consolation prize. It's like when you're playing one of those games on the television and you don't get the million. But they're like, but here's your 1,000 rand. And you're like, I've paid the, that's how much money I paid for the flights to get you. It's a consolation prize. Like when you feel like everything's going well in the relationship and then your partner dumps you and says, let's just be friends. (laughs) Now we know that Boaz hasn't actually ended the relationship. He is still keen to marry her if the other redeemer doesn't. But the barley can still feel like a consolation prize. But it's actually not when you understand his reason for giving it. He says in verse 17 that Ruth must not go home empty-handed to Naomi. Now, if you've got your thinking caps on, you'll remember that at the very beginning of the book, Naomi described herself as empty. So what's Boaz doing here? He's sending Naomi a message. Though he might not be able to marry Ruth, he will make sure that Naomi and Ruth are not left empty-handed. To prove that he's trustworthy, he sends six measures of barley, which is at minimum 26 kilos of food. Can you imagine when you didn't have a car back then and you've got to try and like cart the stuff? It must have been pretty hectic. So the message is clear. He will not leave Naomi and Ruth empty. He will fill them until they are overflowing. Now, Jesus is not the redeemer we expect. 
How can we trust that he is good? The cross. If Ruth and Naomi doubt whether Boaz will come through for them, all they need to do is look at how he's never stopped providing for them. He's never stopped looking after them. We as Christians can also do that. When we come across Jesus, and he's not what we expect, we can look at the cross and know that he loves us. And this is how you know you are not worshipping a slot machine. You are worshipping Jesus. When you pray to him and he doesn't give you what you want, you can still smile because you can look back at the cross and you can realize that he is still for your good. He just has a different plan to what you had. Like Boaz had a different plan to what Naomi had. So if you are a person who struggles with Jesus because he's not what you expected, he doesn't tolerate homosexuality, he's not for all religions get to God, he allows suffering, he's not what you expect, right? But you need to see that cross. Because when you do that, you'll be able, you will be, you will not, you cannot deny the love of God when you look at that cross. I always think, Quite often I think back to that cross and I think about just the extent that Jesus has gone through. And maybe that's your exercise for this week. Just meditate on the cross. Because when you truly think about what Jesus has done on the cross, you cannot deny the Lord loves you. And I, for one, I need to finish off with this. I, for one, am very, very happy that the Lord is not what I want but what I need. Because if he's the Lord that I want, then actually I've made an idol out of him. Because I've created a God for myself, that's what I want. But what is awesome about Jesus is he's not what I want. He's what I need. I'm going to finish off with that. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for this book of Ruth. We thank you for... Just the amazing picture of the Redeemer that we see in Boaz. Uh, Lord, thank you that you are the God we need. And I just pray, Lord, that people today, there's a lot of people who may be struggling with their picture of you, with how they come before you. Um, Many of us come from different church backgrounds where we have seen you in different lights. Father God, I pray that you will shine brightly and that you will show us the Jesus we need, not the Jesus we want. And I pray this in your name. Amen.